What started off as an update to the Broadcasting Act in Canada has ballooned into a war of words over the possible infringement on your freedom of expression. Bill C-10 has become a political football on Parliament Hill. Will it get across the goal line? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Now, the Broadcasting Act has not been touched since 1991, long before Facebook, YouTube, Netflix, and our lives relied on the internet. Broadcasters have seen these giants swallow up ears and eyeballs from traditional media, radio, and television. Now, those broadcasters have to ensure a certain amount of content and contribution for Canadian artists, and to some, these giants do not. Social media has enveloped our world as well. It's your feed, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. If you have thousands of followers, should that be monitored by the government or a government agency? The CRTC regulates traditional broadcasters, but it can't touch the internet. Our unpublished.vote question asks, do you think Bill C-10 should be passed as is or be amended? And our listeners and viewers said 96.4% said amended, uh, 3.6% as is and nobody was unsure about that. However, you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, then email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss Bill C-10, Warren Kinsella. He is columnist and former chief of staff to Jean Chrétien. Daniel Bernard is the executive director of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, and Tim Denton is a lawyer uh, on internet policy, as well as the chair of the Canada chapter of the Internet Society and a former commissioner on the CRTC. And, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, we'll start with you. It seems there's a lot of noise about C-10, but, you know, recent polls show almost three quarters of Canadians have even heard or vaguely aware of this. If there's so much outrage, why are so few engaged? Well, thanks for having me on the show. I think that you're right that this is a hot debate among a small number of people. Uh, But uh, I'd like to introduce another poll number, if you like, a Friends Commission Nanos Research to look at some of these uh, questions. And actually, the vast majority of Canadians, for example, of all regions, all political persuasions, think that companies like Netflix should have to make equal and fair contributions to Canadian content. They think that companies like Google and Facebook should be held responsible for things that they publish and profit from. So we have a law that may not be um, well executed, may not be well implemented, but actually most Canadians think that this general direction um, is reasonable. I think there's room for a lot of fair debate about how best to do that and how to do that in ways that do protect free expression, which is obviously sacrosanct. Um, But for most Canadians, even if they haven't heard of the law, they do believe that these companies, these mega trillion dollar American media companies should be subject to the rule of law. Now, uh, when we look at that, like Netflix, if I recall, spent, what, $2 billion between 2017 and 2020 here in Canada on Canadian content, did it not? Well, I think there's two things to point out here. First of all, there's a difference between content that's produced in Canada and Canadian content. I'm coming to you from Toronto, and we often see um, streets closed off uh, for film sets that are dressed up to look like New York with uh, yellow cabs and all the signs changed and all of those types of things. Um, That's great for the industry, and it's fantastic that it's happening, but that doesn't further Canada's own conversation. So there's a difference between those two. But I would say even if Netflix is spending a lot of money here, And even if it were all on Canadian content, 
I don't think it should be voluntary. And I think this is the difference. If Netflix is already spending this kind of money, then it makes sense to have them um, be subject to these regulations. And if they're already exceeding them, then that's great. Um, the difference is whether or not they will be subject to the same laws as their competitors are. And if we believe in a free market and free competition, then I think we can also agree it doesn't make sense to have certain rules and obligations for Canadian companies and allow their American competitors to abide by none of those rules. It's an artificial competitive advantage for these foreign companies um, that doesn't serve us culturally or economically. Warren, you feel, you feel that uh, C-10 violates the Constitution, yet David Lametti found it didn't violate the Charter. Is it just legal interpretation or, or where do we stand? on it? Does it violate the Constitution? Well, Justin Trudeau signs his paycheck, so I would be astonished if he were to say anything else. You know, and, and everything that, uh, you know, your previous guest talked about with respect to, you know, cultural supports and accountability for these big social media platforms. I agree with all of that, but that's not where the debate has um, fired up and what has gotten people so upset. And it's extraordinary for things to get hot in a pandemic, as we all know, you know, mm -hmm. people are more preoccupied, understandably, with public health and public health measures. This thing is broken through because I think there is an understanding that while it's good that we're looking at updating the Broadcasting Act, which didn't anticipate the internet really at the time that it was last changed, the problem here is the censorship the potential that exists and the unaccountability that exists within the bill. So it's the, it's one of those classic devils in the details kind mm -hmm. of situations where, um, you know, they're using the proverbial sledgehammer to kill an ant. Um, you know, all of us agree. I think all reasonable people agree that Facebook and Twitter and so on derive considerable financial benefit from existing in Canada and other democracies, other countries around the world, for sure. Um, but the bill as contemplated at the moment is not just going to affect those entities, it's gonna get Joe and Jane front porch. So if you, for example, like me, I've got a website that I've had for many years that reaches millions of people every year, not sure why, but it does. And like, am I a content provider in the same way that CBC is? Am I gonna be required to hand over broadcast time to the political parties during an election? Am I gonna be subject to control by some bureaucrats at the CRTC who regrettably are not elected? So uh, there are some real problems here if you drill down into this legislation and there's, they still haven't been addressed by the government. Tim, you, you call Bill C-10 a panicked reaction of elites to the power of the internet. What to you defines an elite? Oh my goodness. Um, I would say we have one in Canada and it's governing us now. Um, the principal but, but what makes it what makes them elite? Uh, they run things, they make, make laws, they pass judgments, they issue regulations, and they influence the people who do all these things. So that's every MP, every government is in the elite. I, would, I, I think we're not talking about C10, and I'd rather talk about C10 than, than elites. All right. Um, okay. If you know, go I, ahead. I'll go with Warren on this. Um, the Internet Society speaks for the interests and ideas behind the Internet. And the basic idea of broadcasting, regardless of any detail of regulation, is that in principle, you are given permission by the state to speak. 
With printing and ordinary speech and the internet, you don't need prior permission. And if you look at the, at the, at the CRTC and the Broadcasting Acts in particular, you'll see that ferocious fines, very large fines, apply to those who speak without permission. Now, the current C10 has got the thing entirely backward. It is trying to make the internet fit into the closed market constraints of domestic broadcasting industry with its subsidies and internal transfers of money to meet internal generated ideas of market. You will not see any of these ideas on the internet. You will see, get on the internet, set up your website, speak across email, speak across any of these platforms and speak your mind. What the government is doing, it doesn't say it's doing, but it is doing by these immense increases of the number of regulated subjects and you and I are regulated subjects under the Broadcasting Act, is increasing them not from four to 5,000 broadcast licensed people in Canada, but as many people as our Canadians now become subject to permission of the state to speak. And the basic outrageousness of this has yet to be registered on the Canadian population. It's a fight, yes, among elites. It's a fight around, about, around issues that a small group of people at the telecom and broadcasting waterholes know about. But the outrageousness of what is being proposed is mostly what needs to be addressed because we have you know, come from a long history of hundreds of years of developing freedom of the press. This puts the press, and that is everybody with their automatic printer, mm -hmm. this puts the press back into a situation where it hasn't been since 1688. This puts everybody's communication back into a political regime that was last seen when we got rid of the Stuart Kings. I mean, it's just imbecilic and outrageous. If you want to do something about the platforms, Daniel Bernhard and I will have a long list of agreements. If you want to do something about my right to speak and Warren Kinsella's right to speak and Daniel Bernhard's right to speak, then I'm going to be on Mr. Kinsella's side. But Daniel Bernhard and Friends of Public Broadcasting is not a broadcaster because it runs a website. And the National Post and the Globe and Mail are not broadcasters because if you count up the bits, they have more bits in sound and video files than they do in print files. Yeah. I could go on, but I think yeah. I've made my point. Yeah. Daniel, uh, well, we, talk, we, we talked about Netflix, but the, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Disney Plus, uh, do they need to invest more in the Canadian market or uh, do we leave them alone? I mean, I think the answer is yes, they do need to invest more in, in the Canadian market, but I think that um, uh, Warren and Timothy are right that the controversy or the debate has not really been about that. Um, it's been about whether this bill um, would infringe upon people's rights to free expression. And, you know, um, um, Timothy's um, 
many superlatives and, and adjectives of, of, of outrage have come across really clearly. I think there's the, the question, though, is whether or not they reflect the reality of the bill. And, you know, what I would say is that the, the idea that um, you would need prior permission from the government to be on the Internet um, is, is false. Actually, the bill says that uh, certain broadcasters need licensing, traditional, but it has a separate category for online and they don't need prior permission. Um, th there, there are a couple of things like this, these details, which are, which are very important. But I want to just say really very clearly that the idea that each and every person would be subject to the regulation of the CRTC is not true. The CRTC does not regulate content. The CRTC regulates broadcasters. And this law has said very clearly that individual Canadians uploading content to social media are not broadcasters. And also there are other provisions in the bill that say that certain small bodies should be exempted from any regulation. That's actually been in place for a long, long time. And we continue to also have courts and a charter and all these other things. So for us to say that the thought police is coming, I think is, is really, um, is really not there. I don't see it. But even even if um, we say that applying certain standards from the broadcasting world to the internet, um, the most maximal interpretation, even if we say that that is true and that is happening, um, I, I still don't think that is about what you can and cannot say. It is about what broadcasters must and mustn't do. And I think we can all agree that there are certain things that don't belong on TV. We don't want to have your kids watching, you know, Bugs Bunny be subject to beer ads. And I think it's also fair to say that even if they're watching those same Bugs Bunny cartoons on YouTube, that we also don't want them to be watching those beer ads. So the idea that this is about censoring individuals' um, opinions uh, is, is simply not the case. And Timothy was on the CRTC, and I'm sure you didn't spend your days censoring people and deciding what they can and can't say. Um, because you know that's not that's not the role of of the CRTC, and I don't think it would be the role here as well. Uh, Warren, I think maybe that might be part of the problem here. Is you know you're you're taking uh, an organization like the CRTC, which obviously its mandate is broadcasting, uh, television, radio, because they use the public airwaves. Here now you've got the CRTC that possibly could be regulating the the internet, uh, and it really doesn't even have a, a mandate for that, does it? No, it does not. I mean, government can do anything. Government can give them a mandate to do that. They, they last looked at this in 1997 and decided that they should not do it. And I thought, you know, at the time, I wasn't sure if that was the right decision. Like, it, it makes sense to have a CRTC. It makes sense to have a broadcasting act. We've got a finite number of airwaves available to us. You can't just let the biggest guy on the block, dominate the airwaves and squeeze everybody out. That's why we developed the CRTC. That's why we had a broadcasting act. But the internet is infinite, right? There are billions of channels. And that's the beauty of it is your average person can, if they wish to express themselves in a way that is lawful and reasonable, they can, they can do that. And so, you know, I, I disagree that the, the law doesn't affect, won't affect those people. It does. Every editorial board in the country, every expert from Michael Geist on down has said it does. But let's say I'm wrong, okay? Let's say that they're all wrong and it's not going to affect those individual citizens. 
here's what's going to happen in its stead. And so some years ago, I had some lunatic, and I think you know who I'm talking about in Ottawa, trying to shut down my website. He couldn't do that. He couldn't persuade me to stop writing what I was writing. So what he did is he went to my ISP. He went to my internet service provider. And guess what happened? My internet service provider, much in the way that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the others will do, said, Warren, we're sorry. We agree with you. We think this guy is a kook, but um, we just don't need the trouble. So unless you do what he wants you to do, we are going to kick you off our platform. That's the danger here. Even if individual citizens are not going to be forced to take content at the time of an election or obliged to observe certain rules from the CRTC, the platforms on which they operate will. Believe me, guys, Facebook and Twitter would not, in a New York minute, they would turn off any of us if they suspected that the CRTC was unhappy about the type of content that we were uploading to the internet. That's the danger. But aren't they doing that anyway, Warren? Like, aren't they doing that anyway, except they're just doing it based on their own standards in their own interests governed by kind of American legal paradigms and their own profit? I mean, they are removing content. They have a sort of quasi-judicial system. That's happening already, right? Yeah, but they have a user service agreement. doing it. We have an end user agreement that we all sign when we, when we do you know, when we get offered a platform from these people, in this case, it's the government. It's a qualitative difference. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, I've been in bands for years. I get a check every year, you know, for the bad music that I put together and the, the books that I've written and so on. I am a firm believer because I'm a beneficiary of supporting creative content and creators in this country. The problem is the bill is just overreaching that. It's going too far and it creates potential harm. And you know, I'm not the only one saying it. Michael Geist is not an ideologue. He's a progressive and considered the expert in this country. And he's saying that this thing is an outrageous piece of legislation and the most fundamental uh, threat to Section 2B freedoms in this country's history. Well, since Section 2B came into existence. Tim, as a CRTC commissioner, formerly, you, you fought against the CRTC trying to regulate the internet. Uh, how and, and, and why? Well, I, the, the same arguments continue. First of all, permission of the state, a number of regulated subjects, incapacity of the CRTC as a human institution to undertake any task so large, um, and the idea that innovation in ideas and innovation in software and innovation generally comes from an unregulated industry. Um, there's many, the internet is delicate. It has many layers, it has many facets, it has many players. Uh, but the most important idea of the internet is, um, you know, innovation without permission. Now, when you subject, when you subject uh, people or the platforms to the form of regulation that is envisaged by this statute. And I will take issue with Mr. Bernard on this directly, but not right now. When you, in, in, when you make the innovation platforms or the platforms subject to regulation, first of all, you outsource the censorship to an institution, which would be happy to take it on. Uh, let me tell you, the platforms will be, as Warren Kinsella says, will be happy to take on the job of censorship as long as it's approved of by government. 
So you don't eliminate the censorship by saying, no, no, you aren't censored. It's your publisher that's censored. It's, it's just a distinction without a difference. And so the idea that this thing will be somehow friendly to innovation, friendly to free discourse, friendly to the sometimes rather rude exchange of ideas that takes place in the various corners of the internet is just a, a falsity. This thing is intended to control what people say by controlling the platforms. And even if it's not a user-generated content to platforms, your websites, regardless of whether it's on a user-generated platform, user-generated content, your own websites become subject to the rules of broadcasting if the, if the CRTC, in its great wisdom, determines that you are predominantly audiovisual. And as a friend of mine says, count up the bits, fellas. Mm-hmm. And the bits say that, you know, we look at any document or look at any video document. There's way more bits in an audio file and a visual file than there are in a printed page. So essentially, all Warren, heretic, known enemy of the state, needs to be censored, and they will find a way to do it. Why? Because he's a broadcaster, and he's now talking with permission of the state. And the, it makes no difference if the state does the censorship or if by guidelines and directives, they all come to an agreement about what is to be said. Because you may be sure that this being Canada, there'll be close cooperation between the giants of the internet and the government to ensure that the giants of the internet continue their business. So outsourcing the censorship to the giants, to the platforms, merely entrenches their power about which something should be done, but not this, merely entrenches their power. And we have a nice, cozy, tight relationship like there is between broadcasters and the government. The second thing to say about this is the CRTC controls speech the way the shape of a pitcher controls the water. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to say anything directly, but it will. It has canned certain uh, radio stations for offenses against uh, good taste and decency, I suppose. And I will just go into one short story here, very short. We were at the CRTC and a radio station in Thunder Bay was brought up before us for not playing enough Canadian content. The issue was that it was a Finnish language radio church service. And there was only one Finnish language thing ever composed in Canada. So guess what? That has to be played every time. Now, the CRTC in its wisdom gets down to regulating these kinds of things. Um, I'm curious, though, about why we're jumping to the conclusion that it's about censoring, quote unquote, unpopular opinions. Let me let me give you another example. I am not allowed to take out a front page ad in the Globe and Mail calling you a pedophile or a thief or a criminal because you're not. Um, And. The reason why that doesn't happen is because the Globe and Mail is jointly liable, right? If they publish something like that, you would take me to court and you would take them to court. If I asked them to do it, they wouldn't do it. And that wouldn't be an infringement on my freedom of expression. And so the idea that this is going to get into um, censoring, as you say, the rude dialogue, 
I think actually that's perfect. That's the perfect point because no one's talking about rude dialogue. There are a lot of activities that these broadcasters, that these media companies engage in. And, you know, like YouTube, for example, is clearly a broadcasting service. Um, there are others, as you say, which are mixed and are harder to deal with, and that that needs to be addressed. But this, this type of content, like showing beer ads to teenagers, which happened in Australia on Facebook, that's a real thing that happened. Um, I think these are the types of reasonable regulations we're talking about. These platforms can be held responsible for their media businesses. And I would say that this issue started, you know, the, the, the main threat here is to the profitability of these large media companies whose businesses are threatened by the application of the rule of law. And it just so happens, you know, Timothy, you're the, the, the chair of the Internet Society of Canada. The Internet Society includes among its members Amazon, Google, Facebook. You should disclose that in these types of conversations. So, you know, for us to say that the Internet is this free open place is like to talk about the Internet as though it hasn't changed since the 90s. The internet is a largely monopolized space. You open up your Android phone owned by Google, you do a Google search, you find a YouTube video owned by Google, you share it on Facebook, you flip it to your friends on WhatsApp, also owned by Facebook. This is a tightly controlled and monopolized space. These companies are already making decisions about what you can and can't say. For them to be held responsible for those decisions um, is not outrageous. And there will be a couple of edge cases. You know, the, the, the Finnish station in Thunder Bay is a perfect example. But one example keeps being brought up all the time. There's a radio station in Quebec City, you know, that's been threatened with revocation of his license for, for all kinds of swearing and things like this um, that happen regularly on the radio station. But they're still on the air. <laughs> they're still on the air and they remain controversial. And that's fine. The idea is, though, that we don't just have a broadcasting act, as Warren said, because airwaves are limited. That's one of the reasons. But since the very beginning, we've recognized that there is a cultural value to these. And we want to make sure that these powerful technologies are used for, for, for certain purposes. To say that there has to be Canadian content, for example, does not say what that content should be. It doesn't say that you should not be critical of the government. It doesn't say that you should not be critical of friends of Canadian broadcasting or anybody else. Um, it just says that we have to make sure that there's enough room for our own conversations for people to choose. And when you know companies like Google and Facebook through their industry associations send emissaries uh, like Mr. Denton to, to argue that um, their businesses should remain completely unregulated and that this is synonymous with the interests of democracy is false. In our poll that, we, uh, that I mentioned earlier, and I'll end here, in our poll that we mentioned earlier, we asked people, so social media, does it make democracy stronger? Is this the, the great liberating emancipator um, that, uh, that, that we're told about? And you know how many people said yes? 4%. 4% of Canadians said that social media companies like Facebook make democracy stronger. Uh, so I think that, again, coming back to your original point, this is a, a hot conversation among a small group of people. And most Canadians agree that there are certain standards. Even in the United States, with First Amendment fundamentalism as the guiding principle, there's, you know, you can't show nudity on TV in certain cases. We actually have more nudity in Canada than the United States. Every civilized country has a body like this operating on the media sector for the very understandable reason that these tools are powerful. They inform our politics, they inform our society, they inform our taste, and there are limits. Those limits are not drawn at rude comments. They are not drawn at objectionable opinions. They are drawn at fairly extreme examples. Um, and even in cases where they've been contravened like this fellow in Quebec City, um, they remain on the air. Warren does- I need to answer. Okay, go ahead, I need, Tim. I need to answer two things. Sure. First of all, the only opinions that are ever censored are the unpopular ones. 
Um, the we have been accused of being exponents of the ideas of the large platforms, which comes as something of a surprise to me because we would see them regulated by different means. They're the paying members not, of the association, are they not? We have no paying members of that. Some people have sponsored conferences and colloquia that have occurred on the internet because of we have we have sponsors for our speeches, but nobody in this organization works for a dime from any of these people. We but saying what we believe because we believe it to be true, and we believe it to be true from a long experience in regulation, long experience in government and the courts. And uh, you know, some days I wish we were, but we aren't paid. This is a free volunteer association. I think All that's right. sent Okay, uh, Warren, I, I want to know, does, does making content discoverable impact freedom of expression? I don't understand your question. What do you mean? Uh, well, if the CRTC is going to push forward Canadian artists' content, that kind of a thing, um, as opposed to other stuff that you might be looking for. Um, well, not in the sense of traditional broadcasting, you know, uh, Canadian artists have benefited from uh, Canadian content laws, you know, and I think um, that possibly was a controversy at the start, but it turned out to be a good thing because we, we have some great uh, artists in this country and they've contributed greatly. It's just in the case of the internet, like I, I don't, I'm not part of any association here. And it, it, I really think it's not appropriate to say, well, nobody's paying attention to it, so who cares? Like, that, that is just not an acceptable standard. We're in the middle of a global pandemic where we got millions of people dying. Of course, people are not paying attention to public affairs in the way that they traditionally do. That's precisely why the, this legislation is being pushed through at this time. I think it principally satisfies the government's political objectives in Quebec. Mr. Trudeau is obsessed in getting another majority. He believes that's the way of doing so. That's why we're seeing him bending over to accommodate Mr. Legault with Bill 96. That's what I think the real impetus is here. But, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. I work for a prime minister and I know you know, there are political motives behind every decision that's made in Ottawa. The problem is the legislation. And I'm just speaking for myself, not for any association. I've looked at the legislation, as has Michael Geist and many other people who are preoccupied with free expression. And I'm not in favor of unlimited free expression. You know, I've, I've worked on hate propaganda, Section 319 and Section 320 cases. I believe those laws should be there. Our laws against child pornography, you know, our regulations against letting young people figure out how to build a bomb on the internet. Those are all good things. The problem here is this particular piece of legislation simply goes too far. And it will have the effect of limiting the expression of average citizens. If there's a charter challenge under Section 2B, I have no doubt a first-year law student is going to be able to defeat this legislation. The problem is what happens in the meantime, in the, you know, the next few months. In the next few months, we're supposed to be having an election, you know, and we've got a pandemic underway. I want to hear from other points of view, however much I disagree with them. This is precisely the time when people should be expressing themselves because the internet is the principal way they connect with family and friends and the world right now. You can't go out and see it. You use the internet to do so. There is no other, to get back to Mr. Bernard's comment, there is no other jurisdiction in the Western world that is doing this. 
it is false to say that other jurisdictions are doing the same thing. They are not, not even the European Union, which has many progressive states represented in it, not even the European Union is going this far. We are the only country in the world doing this, and it is profoundly dangerous to our democracy and to our free expression. Here, here. Now, <laughs> that uh, has been quite a uh, quite a discussion, folks, and I want to thank you for joining us uh, on Unpublished TV. Our guest today, Warren Kinsella, columnist and former chief of staff with Jean Chrétien. Daniel Bernard Special is thanks. Executive, special assistant, sorry. Uh, Daniel Bernard, executive director of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, and Tim Denton's a lawyer on internet policy and the chair of the Canada chapter of the Internet Society. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.